0: February 1st, 2003, the Space Shuttle Columbia flight ended in disaster. The shuttle disintegrated as it entered into the Earth's atmosphere. What happened? Well, after much investigation, NASA determined what went wrong. When the Space Shuttle Columbia had launched, a piece of styrofoam or a piece of foam from the external tanks broke off about the size of a suitcase, hit the left wing of the craft and and damaged uh, the the heat shield there left a a hole that was about six to ten inches. When Columbia re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, uh, the heat from the Earth's gases uh, penetrated that heat shield and destroyed the left wing and the craft began to disintegrate and began to break apart. When the insulation broke off during the launch. Some of the NASA engineers wanted an investigation of the damage while the shuttle was orbiting. Uh, the, the NASA managers limited the investigation and uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't pursue that investigation. Now the, the folks who were on the craft didn't know that, that there was any kind of a significant problem. Uh, they decided not to, not to pursue any exploration of, of what was happening what had happened, what that was going to look like while they were orbiting. There was the possibility of using assets from the Department of Defense and and getting very high-resolution imaging of what was happening, not pursued. A handful of NASA managers made that decision. Well, they notified the crew that this had happened. The flight manager sent this email to the uh, pilot and the co-pilot, regarding what happened. He says, experts have reviewed the high speed photography and there is no concern for damage. We have seen the same phenomena on several other flights and there is absolutely no concern for entry. No concern for entry. The flight director was dead wrong as well as the experts that he cited. This phone detachment during the launch would ultimately end the lives of seven crew members. Of the space shuttle Columbia now the crew of the Columbia trusted the experts who do you trust what has authority in your life what has authority in our church we'll think about this together as we look in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 if you'd like to follow along you're welcome to take a pew Bible and turn to page 1055 We're beginning a new series this morning called From Fuzzy to Focus. As we begin 2020, we want a clear vision of God's call for our church. And so we're thinking about the values that we hold as First Baptist Juvaldi. And that's what we'll be looking at these next few weeks together. We hope to gain clarity for a stronger future as a church and for a deeper faith as individual believers. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a young man that he had mentored and that he had ministered alongside for years, a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy was getting a bit beyond the young age at this point. He's probably in his 40s, but Paul is a veteran in church leadership at this point. He has planted church after church after church and and, and led the churches. He is in prison Likely in a dungeon and expecting to die soon. His death is imminent. In many ways, 2 Timothy is a book where he passes the baton of leadership to young Timothy. So he pours into this pastor. Let's take a look at what Paul had to say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phaedulus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtain mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Well, as we consider this passage, we see the importance of a commitment to God's word. As a church, we are committed to the word of God. That's one of our values. We value the word in all that we do. This morning, I hope to inspire you to look to God's word as your authority. And I hope as a church, we will recognize the word of God as our authority. And finally, I hope, to encourage you to read God's word every single day. I hope to encourage you to make this a part of the rhythm of your life, that you'll be in the word. How can we demonstrate our commitment to the word of God? Well, verse 13 teaches that we should follow the pattern of sound teaching. Paul says, hold on to this pattern of sound teaching. What's he talking about? Well, he he tells us, Timothy, what I taught you, the words that I taught you, you hold on to those words. In other words, what I taught you was what God had to say. You hold on to the words of God. May that be the pattern for your ministry. Now, he's not saying to Timothy, you have to do this, you have to do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. He's not saying that ministry can only happen according to to this one single approach. But what he is saying is that your ministry must be characterized by a pattern that is faithful to the words that I've taught you. That is faithful to the word of God. Now often in today's world, folks will, will say, you know what, we don't want to get too bogged down in doctrine. We, we just want to, to, to love each other. We want to have unity. And so we don't want to, we don't want to, to focus on, on all of that. And I get the urge because in our culture, it's really unpopular to say there's only one way to be saved. And yet that's clearly what God's Word teaches. That's very unpopular. It's really unpopular to talk about God's vision for the family. And we could list all kinds of ways that being faithful to the Word is unpopular in culture today. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is you don't get to rewrite the book. You've got to be faithful to the sound teaching that I passed on to you. And it's still true today. We must be faithful to the word. Now look at how Paul concludes this verse. In the faith and the love in Christ Jesus. It is possible to be very committed to doctrine and to sound teaching. But have no heart of love. And to not have a growing faith. So it's possible to learn the word but not be transformed by the word. And Paul's not looking for that. He's looking for people who learn the Word and grow deeper in the Word and at the same time whose faith is being invigorated and enlivened and growing deeper. So we want to learn the Word, but we want to fall in love with Jesus as we do. And not only that, he says our love for others. So we want to love others more deeply. If you say to me, I'm a student of the Word and I care what the Bible says and I learn the Word and I study the Word, but you don't love people, you're going the wrong direction. It's entirely possible to miss this. We must be committed to the word of God, but we also must be committed to loving Jesus more and loving people more. And the word, rightly handled, leads to those things. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Do you remember when you were a kid Maybe, maybe you got one of those paint by the numbers. It was a, a picture, and it had the drawing on it, and each little section of the drawing would have a specific number, like number one would correlate with green, number two with blue, number four with orange, that sort of thing. And so you'd have to look at the, at the key. Oh, number two, I'm supposed to take green here or, or, or red or whatever, and I'm going to paint right here. And if you followed the directions in the end, well, if you could stay in the lines, you had a picture that looked pretty good and was recognizable. But if you don't follow the numbers and you just kind of go at your own, you got a mess. Now I know some folks will call it modern art, but I call it a mess. And so the reality is, in a church, we got to paint by the numbers. That, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Paint by the numbers. Don't, don't decide you're going to come up with your own plan. Maybe you think somehow you are smarter than God. You're not, Timothy. Paint by the numbers. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, how do we follow this pattern of sound teaching? Well, each one of us must be committed to know the Word of God. We've got to be committed to know the Word. How how do we have that? How, How do we grow in knowing the Word? Well, we read it. We study it. We listen to it preached. We get in a group where we can discuss it and learn together. That's how we learn the Word. Friend, are you doing that? Are you growing deeper in your knowledge of the Word? Sometimes we don't want to grow deeper. I've, I've heard of many believers say, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't need to know all that stuff. I don't want to go deep. I just want to love Jesus. Friend, if you love Jesus, you'll want to know who He is. You'll want to know Him so you can praise Him and love Him and adore Him and be faithful to Him. Go deep, know the Word. That's what Paul's saying here. How else are we going to follow this pattern of sound teaching? Well, recognize that as you learn the word, your faith ought to be growing and vibrant. Your love for Jesus ought to be deeper, and your love for others should be as well. So evaluate yourself. If I'm learning the word, is my faith growing deeper? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Do I Do I love him more? And ask yourself, am I loving others more? Or am I becoming hard and maybe a little bit, prideful or arrogant because i know quite a bit more than other folks do you see the word rightly handled leads to life change what does this look like in the life of the church well the word of god is our guide for how to do church sometimes when we're making a decision in the church we have a tendency to ask well what do you think is a good idea what's your opinion oh i think so and so we ought to do that we ought to do this Or we say, well, you know what? We've always done that, so it's got to be that. Or some are more drawn toward the new. Oh, man, I heard of a church that's doing this new trendy thing. Let's try it. Friends, when we're making decisions regarding the church, our first question should be, does the Word speak to this? What does the Word say? The Word is our guide for the church. It must be. It Absolutely must be. It is our authority. And as we continue this process of church revitalization, part of this endeavor will involve looking at our church's structure and our church's polity. How do, we, how do we do church? What's our church government going to look like? The question that matters most is this. Does the word speak? Can we gain guidance from the word? Are we being faithful to the book? We want the word of God. To guide us. We want to stay as close to the word as possible. There's our authority, brothers and sisters, and it is a reliable authority. Next, we want our ministries to be marked by sound teaching from our preaching to our singing to our small groups, Sunday school classes, Awana's classes, you name it. Anything we do, we want to make sure that the curriculum, the songs we sing, the preaching, the teaching is faithful to the word of God. So we must follow Sound teaching. Second, this passage would teach us if we would be committed to the word, we must defend the gospel. Defend the gospel. In verse 14, Paul says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit. Guard the good deposit. Some versions will say, guard the treasure. What's Paul talking about? If you, if you read him in context, you're going you're to see that he's talking about the gospel. Timothy, guard the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the way that sinners can be reconciled to a God who's holy. Guard the gospel. Protect the gospel. Defend the gospel. Now, sometimes I will hear folks say, we don't, as a church, need to guard the gospel. The gospel's powerful. We don't have any responsibility there. That's crazy. We've been given the message of the gospel. We've got to be careful to guard it. We want people to know how they can be in a right relationship with God. Well, let's think together for a minute. What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. The gospel is the good news that though we were broken and sinful, God loved so much that he sent his son to this earth. And on this earth, he lived a perfect life. And then he died the death that we deserve to die. He was nailed to a cross. He was buried. And he came back to life proving that he was who he said he was. And now, If we will repent or turn away from our sin and put our faith, our trust in Jesus, the Bible says that God saves us. And then we're able to recover and to pursue God's design, His plan for our lives. That's the gospel. And Paul says to Timothy, don't you deviate from the gospel. You guard it. You protect the gospel. Now imagine playing college football and being 120 pounds And told, you're gonna be a lineman. You better protect that quarterback. Would that be a good situation to be in? Probably not. You know, in this world, trying to guard the gospel can feel like that, can feel like being a 120 pound lineman on the college football team. It can feel fierce because because the world is so opposed to the message that, that we bear. But, brothers and sisters, look at what Paul says. Guard the gospel through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. You may be 120 pounds, and those guys surrounding you may be huge, but you're not in it by yourself. The Holy Spirit is in you, and he will empower you. He lives within you. see, the scriptures teach that if we repent and put our faith in Jesus, well, the scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And Paul says to Timothy, Buddy, you may be 120 pounds, but the Spirit is has got your back. That's true for us. Praise God, it's true for us. So how do we defend the gospel? Well, we want to learn the gospel inside and out. If you're a believer, I ask you, could you clearly share the gospel with someone? If someone sat across from you and said, hey, I've heard church people talk about the gospel, what is that? Could you? If not, this is something you want to work on. You want to learn the gospel. For one, you want to be able to share it with lost people. But as a believer, we need to continue to reflect on the truths of the gospel. They transform our lives. The truths of the gospel, that we don't save ourselves, but that God in his grace saves, that he moves in hearts, that we might know him, that he enables us to change, that he's our rescuer. Those are the truths that we must meditate on. Know the gospel inside and out. And then when someone preaches a false gospel, you'll recognize it. You'll know it's not true because you know the gospel in and out. Next, become a disciple-making disciple. Make a list of of people that God has placed in your life who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe a family member, maybe uh, a friend, a neighbor or co-worker, and then think of someone you know in your life who you think that person would never turn to Christ. And begin praying for those four people every day, praying that God would change their hearts, that he would save them, And then begin to look for opportunities to share the gospel. And then once a person comes to know Christ, then begin to help them grow in their faith. And if if you lead someone to Jesus and you need some help, we've got got books that help people begin their their walk with Christ. Holler at us in the office and say, hey, I I need one of those. We'll give you that book. And you walk with them and begin discipling them. In other words, we want to be disciples who make disciples. Often in churches, we have a tendency To kind of get in coast mode where we just sort of sit and soak you've heard that but then we're not out in the battle but we're all called to be out in the battle we're all called to be making disciples so who are you sharing the gospel with who are you discipling if you know jesus these are questions we need to be able to answer how do we defend the gospel as a church well we must teach the gospel over and over you should never come to this church on a sunday morning and from this pulpit, not hear the gospel presented at some point. We want to teach the gospel over and over. We want the gospel to be shared in our classes and in our groups and in our wanna's classes. We want the gospel truths to be reiterated over and over again as a church. We must be committed to the gospel. It is the way and the only way that a person can be in a right relationship with God. Next, we want to be passionate as a church about making disciple, making disciples. In other words, as a church, we want to help you. We want to put tools in your hands and encourage you to share the gospel with people and to disciple them, to begin to help them grow in the faith so that you can launch them off to sharing their faith and making disciples. And we've got tools available for all of that. We'll be training you before long in sharing the gospel as a whole church. And we'll be putting tools in your hands so that you can begin to, to, to take these steps of being a disciple, making disciple. Okay. We teach, as a church, doctrine and Christian apologetics. This is another way that we defend the gospel. Sometimes folks will say to me, Pastor, I just wish you'd get up there and just give us an inspirational word and sort of cheer us on a little bit. You know, make us feel good and inspire us. Some better stories, Pastor. Well, and I understand that. I, I don't want to be boring as a preacher, and sometimes I know I can I can lean that way. Try not to, but but I can I can lean in that direction sometimes. And I understand the sentiment. But brothers and sisters, we're not here for a rah rah inspirational. Oh, I feel better. I'm gonna, I, you know, I I just want a little lift me up. We're here to learn the word of God. We're here to learn the word. We want to go deep. That's why we teach doctrine. It matters. What the word says we also want to teach as a church christian apologetics we want to teach you how to defend your faith when folks say hey there is no god we want to help you uh, equip you to be able to respond to that to be able to deal with other other belief systems a church must be faithful in this regard so guard the gospel third what do we see in paul's closing verses 15 through 18 care for people care for people in verse 15, you can almost hear Paul's grief as he said, all the people in Asia have deserted me. And in a sense, he's basically saying they've turned away from the Lord. That's what's on Paul's heart here. Now, he doesn't mean literally every person in Asia. How do we know that? Because he's writing to Timothy. And Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which happened to be the capital of Asia. He's speaking in hyperbole. We do that too sometimes, don't we? Everything's a mess. Well, probably not everything, just something. That's what Paul's saying here. So many people in Asia have turned away. His heart is broken. He, he points out to two specific folks who had turned away. And then he speaks about one fellow who had really been a blessing and an encouragement to him, Onesephorus. And, and he says, I hope the Lord blesses him. And when he stands before God, I hope he experiences the rich rewards of his faithfulness. What you see in Paul is a deep care for people. Now, one author wrote regarding Paul and what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. And this is what he said. If you read the book of Romans, it is such a theologically dense and rich book, you would think Paul was some fella in an ivory tower with a few PhDs who had little time to shepherd or care for the people. Truth is that he invested his life in people constantly, In fact, the book of Romans alone, Paul mentions 33 people, 24 of whom were in Rome. And when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he had never even been to Rome. Paul had a heart for people. What we see is that if we're going to be committed to the word as a church, it means we're going to be committed to people. We're going to care for people. How do we care for people? Well, first, we need to recognize that the word calls us into mutual relationships with one another. In our day, it's really easy to say, hey, I'm going to do things my way. I don't need anybody else to speak into my life. I know what I want. I don't need, I don't need anyone else. I'm good. And so many folks have that perspective. But that is antithetical. It's opposite of what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches we, we need mutual relationships with one another. The New Testament is filled with statements like love one another, bear with one another, serve one another one another. Accept one another. We, we need each other. In our church, this means get in a group. Get in a group. It's really important. If you come here for worship, I'm thrilled you do, and we want you to, to, to join together in worship. But if you're going to live out a lot of the one another's and, and receive the kind of care that you need, you need to be in a group. When, when you come here on a Sunday morning and, and we, please, we want you to be here. We're blessed that you're here but you come in and sort of sneak in and sneak out, well, when you have a struggle, we're not even going to know about it. Get in a group where folks will know you, where folks can walk alongside you, and you can bear each other's burdens. That's the New Testament's vision, where you can really care for people. Now, in a church this size, a few pastors can't meet all the needs, but when we're in relationships with each other, we we meet each other's needs. And then the pastors can, can help when there's, when there's hard times or emergencies and serious issues. But we minister to one another. As a church, what do we do to, to help folks care for one another? Well, one of the ways we do this is to provide opportunities to build community, to, to encourage you to, to get and develop a deeper fellowship with other believers. Now, we were on the topic of football earlier, and when... You're watching a football team, and you see that the team plays well together. They've practiced for hours on end. They're characterized by a consistent offense and defensive strategy. They take advantage of their team's strengths. They minimize their team's weaknesses in these particular strategies. Isn't it awesome to watch that? Isn't it fun to see a team that plays together well? Listen, brothers and sisters, when a church gets on the same page and when the page that we get on is the word of God and we are committed to the word together and we are committed to the mission that God has given us together, God can use that church to do incredible things. Things a lot greater even than winning a game or winning a championship. Brothers and sisters, God can use us to help lost people be saved and, and be able to go to heaven here in our area and ultimately around the world people in our city can be helped and loved in the name of Christ a lot of needs in our community a lot of needs what if we get on the same page as a church what if we get committed to the mission that God has given us think of how God can use this body oh it's thrilling to think about It it puts joy in my heart to think about the kinds of things that God could do here through us. Brothers and sisters, let's be committed to the Word. And we're committed to the Word as our guide. Oh, beautiful, beautiful what God could do. So believers, what step do you need to take to be more committed to the Word? I want to challenge you this morning. For the next 21 days, that'll be the length of time that we're in this series, I want to challenge you to read one chapter of the book of John every single day. If you've got a Bible with you or if you've got a phone with you, whatever you're using, would you hold it up for a moment? If you got a Bible or a phone, can you wake up just for a second here? No, I'm just kidding. Wake your neighbor up if they're not holding their Bible up. Okay, that's right. This book right here, we claim to be our authority If we really believe this book is true, if we say that this book matters to us, let's get in this book. Brothers and sisters, are you with me? Chapters, uh, a chapter a day of the book of John. This is an opportunity for us as a church to gather around the word. And as God speaks to your heart, I want to ask you, will you email me and let me know how God has spoken to you as you've been in his word? One chapter a day for the next 21 days, and we're going to celebrate how God moves as we, together as a church family, commit to make being in the Word daily a part of the rhythm of our lives. What is God going to do? It is exciting to think about. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you've gone to church, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've gone through baptism, maybe you've walked an aisle, but you've never truly turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, the word of God says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you begin a relationship with God I'll be up here. Ralph Huerta will be up here. We would love to visit with you more about how you can know Jesus. Let's pray together.